messages to us in nature. When you go looking for waiting on God in the Bible, my friends, you will find it everywhere. So let me speak now more personally. I know that each one of us has precious promises that we are waiting for. The hopes and dreams of our lives and for those closest to us. Those desires of our heart that comprise the lives God, we believe God meant for us to live. His promises have resonated in our hearts from his word. They've jumped off the pages of that Bible, haven't they? They've come from his Holy Spirit. They've come from the gifted people who have spoken them into our lives. Some of you here today have seen the promise with your spiritual eyes. Like Elisha's servant when he saw the chariots of fire in 2 Kings 6. You are courageously waiting with patience and faith, worship, thankfulness. You are praying through, and let me encourage you, you are on a sure path to victory. Don't quit. God will do it again, as the song said this morning. Others of us have grown weary in our waiting. Maybe we've settled for something along the way, a little bit less, like our rich young ruler friend. We picked up some baggage maybe we need to unburden today. I pray this word will help you gain victory in your waiting. I also know that your personal waiting story is tender, holy ground. So I will try to speak sensitively, but I will also speak directly because that is the way the Lord brought this word to me. I am aware of many, as I look out in this congregation with all sorts of difficulties. I pray for you as I speak these words today. So let me, with these tears, make a bold claim. This word holds a key, a key to the next phase of joyful calling and direction in your life. Without exaggeration, it has been the key for me. And as a foundation, before I share it with you, I got to remind you of a couple of things the Bible teaches us so we don't get off track. First of all, God's motives are good, and they're only good. He is for us. He is for you. He isn't delaying things to make you miserable. He isn't denying you the answers to your prayers to punish you for something you did 20 years ago. He is not exacting any revenge upon you. Every ounce of God's justifiable wrath, and it was justified, was satisfied long ago on that cross. He isn't angry with you anymore. His delays, however, do involve the working of God in the hearts of people you and others. More on that in a moment. But there is something we can do to make sure that we are not unnecessarily delaying his promises in our lives. <coughs> Second Corinthians 7, 1 says this, therefore having these promises, beloved, turn to the person next to you, next to you and say, you are his beloved. 
So then in classic Paul fashion, as if to soften them up with that nice word, he hits them with a really hard word. After he says, beloved, he says, let us therefore cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, pursuing holiness in the fear of the Lord. When is the last sermon you heard on pursuing holiness in the fear of the Lord? Well, it seems like it's a hard word, but it's really a pathway word. It's really a gracious word. It doesn't demand perfection. It doesn't demand performance. But it demands an orientation. It's a call to listen and obey. It's a call to keep learning. And most of all, like David in the Bible, it's a, it's a call to keep moving towards God no matter what, including in the midst of sin. God then does the maturing of our character which is the needed preparation for the next thing. Simply put, God wants our lives to be worthwhile, both in what we do and in what we are becoming. Our job is to keep our hearts open and responsive to the Holy Spirit. God's job is to transform us from within and fulfill his promises to us. God is really good at his part. His motives are only good, despite what things may look like. Secondly, as I said, your promise necessarily involves others. That's right. God's love for others is part of our story, I found out, even if you never included them in your prayer request, even if they're your enemies. Consider Jesus as the model. He suffered not for himself, but 100% for others, including you and me. Even in the most horrific parts of his passion, he was focused on others. Your promise involves the preparation and readiness of you and your heart and those who will be impacted when it is fulfilled. God is working on them too. That can change our prayers. This is just the way God works. He's a loving God, and he works these things into our prayers, I found, and they are part of his promises to us. Without his foundation, let me walk you through this good word, beginning with the Lord's broader teaching, and then culminating with his very specific word. Listen for God's voice for you today. He showed me, first of all, that we must begin by joining for the first time, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or by rejoining, if you need to recommit yourself today, Jesus in the deepest and most intimate exchange of the Christian life. We must come unto him and take his yoke upon, him, on a, upon us and learn from him, for he is lowly of heart. You know, having received our salvation by faith, he invites us then to become his intimate disciples. He offers as an enticement to our voluntary enrollment the promise of an easy yoke and a light burden. This arrangement is much more than sharing your load with someone else, as if to divide it in half. It is a, supernat a supernatural exchange of our weakness for his strength our emptiness for his presence, our, 
confusion for his wisdom. I want to speak prescriptively now, especially to younger Christians, people who are newer in the Lord, who meet with the Lord daily. I want to encourage you to invite his presence into your time with him, into your mind, into your consciousness. Tell him of your areas of persistent weakness and failure. Ask him to exchange those for his strengths. Consider yourself, this is a mind thing, a thinking thing, dead to that way of living and alive to God's ways. Ask him for the, and listen carefully, the self-control, a fruit of the Spirit, to behave well until your heart catches up with your mind. This way you won't hurt those you love while God is transforming you from within. This isn't works. This is training. It's just how you do it as a junior yoke fellow. Further, as Jesus commanded in Matthew 10.38, we must take up our cross daily and follow him. Do you know what your cross is? It is very different from Jesus' cross. At its core, of course, it's an instrument of death. We die to self and we live unto God. But it's in the context of an intimate, ongoing, joyful relationship with the Holy Spirit. All that we are called to do in our life then should flow from that relationship, empowered by God, blessed by God, and given to us with a quiet, not an anxious heart. The cross Jesus intends for us to carry is likely much smaller and lighter than the one we walked in here with today. So we may have some unburdening to do. I did. So I'll ask you a question. Are you carrying things that only Jesus or someone else or the future are called to carry? This extra baggage is weighing you down today. It's way, it would weigh me down today. It distracts us from hearing the voice of God. So think about this with me. I liken this extra baggage that's burdening us to a terrorist. So think about a terrorist who is renting the spare room of the place where I live. You see, at first, he promised that I wouldn't even know he was there. Then he began playing loud music on Friday nights that was really annoying. Recently, he's been using the space I rented to him as a base from which to launch attacks on my health, my family, and my closest friends, and my dreams. I recently observed him making bombs with my name on them. Wishing I'd never rented to him in the first place won't get it done, will it? He must be evicted. The metaphor isn't much of a stretch, is it? You see, we need our whole heart, including our spare rooms, occupied by Jesus if we are to walk in the ever-increasing blessings of the next thing he has for us. In his letter, Paul's language 
indicates that he is living this exchanged life, that he is carrying only his cross. He knows who he is in Christ and what he's been called to do. His contentment is remarkable under these very difficult circumstances. He has learned to be content in Jesus and he boasts in his weakness. And then listen to this carefully. He lives in this amazing simultaneous reality of sorrow and yet rejoicing. This is freedom. It's not just sorrow and then it's rejoicing. It's a recognition of the problems and the realities of this life, but with the gift of heaven. It's where heaven meets earth in our hearts and it's part of our inheritance in Christ. On October 15th of last year, that was a Sunday, I had a tummy ache and I began a six-month season that included emergency stomach surgery and a diagnosis of high-grade non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. A softball-sized mass was discovered during the surgery and it called for six cycles of chemotherapy. Today, Blythe and I, our family, and many dear praying friends, many here today, are all together on the other side of that now, healed and in a new season. Praise the Lord. But we are changed forever, I pray, by the experience. And while we thank the Lord for his healing covenant, his wonderful praying saints, are you part of a home group? I never knew. I never knew the strength of my home group. I had underestimated God in them. They were the tip of the sword that drove this cancer right out of me. I thank the Lord for his blood covenant that includes healing don't ever let anybody tell you it doesn't. You see, cancer for the Christian, like Paul's imprisonment, or any life-altering experience that lasts for a season, and you know what I'm talking about, the hard places that last, they don't go away quickly. I get it. They can be a very crystallizing process if we remain open to the Holy Spirit, can't they? Of course, some embrace them fearfully determining to tough it out on their own. White-knuckled, negative, dreading every report. Sure, it's going to be a negative outcome. But I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And I did not consider this option. People have told me how impressed they were with the way I handled this. I look at them and say, what was I going to do? Not turn to Christ? not press into him, just tough it out, it didn't seem like a good option to me. So I did this as best I could in yoke with Jesus. And it had a humbling, cleansing, and clarifying effect on me that extended deeper into the issues of the heart and the realm of the soul. God gave me the gift of a clearer view of my weaknesses and his strengths. And he showed me this hopeful pathway I'll share with you today to end the waiting and receive the promise. But then just like Jesus, he also introduced me to the blessed side of waiting, 
the patient side of waiting, the inherit the earth side of waiting, all things the scriptures talk about. His gifts are truly the valuable part of such experiences. So I was the disciple. He first invited me to invite, told me to invite Jesus into my pain, to take up only my cross, accepting and thanking him for my life, cultivating gratefulness. This was the life he was calling me to live, even in the midst of this evil cancer. He was offering me intimate, moment-to-moment, moment-to-moment, permanent fellowship beyond healing. He was offering me joy in the midst of my pain. He also showed me I was carrying some unnecessary baggage that was inhibiting this with God all the time life. He called me to unburden it onto my Lord and senior yoke fellow, Jesus. He called me to evict the terrorist that was exhausting me, stealing my future and occupying too much of my time and attention. He was teaching me that his burden would be light if I'd carry only my cross. You know, despite walking with Jesus for 38 years, and I say this just to give perspective, I can't count on that, hand, that number of hands the times I haven't met with the Lord in 38 years, daily. So I don't say that as any bragging, I just say, we have so much more to learn. He has so much more for us. I've enjoyed his presence, his kingdom, his gifts, his but he was calling me to a deeper level of rest, something I was not very good at. I was running from his quiet. I was running from his beauty. I was running from his peace. And instead, I was filling it up with hurriedness and activity and busyness, all driven by a fear of failing if I slowed down too much. Because after all, it's still on me, isn't it? What foolishness. I've even taught men's groups explaining how foolish this is, and yet I was living the very same lie. I read the books. I agree with Dallas Willard, who says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I think I taught that also. The Lord knew I needed this healing and maturing before he gave me the next thing because he didn't want it to crush me. He wanted it to bless me. It was an act of grace to delay the promise. And so confronting my fears, I unburdened my soul and made room for God in the spare room of my heart. And I discovered an amazing thing. His request was not burdensome or life-restricting, as the enemy had claimed, but joyful and life-giving. My heart has become more hopeful and quiet as I have learned to rest and trust. I learned something else very important. We, read it, we heard about it today. Brother Tim read the gospel. As the Lord confronted me with laying down my own will, and I started to come to grips with what that really meant practically, 
it made me sad. But in this Holy Spirit moment, the Lord said, so it's too important to you, isn't it, Charlie? He reminded me of Matthew chapter 19 right at that time and said, Charlie, you're the rich young ruler who couldn't imagine his life apart from his earthly riches because he had underestimated God's riches. So I opened my heart to God and Jesus brought wave after wave of his love. They overflowed my fears and I said yes to the Lord. It was a life-changing, life-saving change. And I knew at that moment, just five days after the surgery and diagnosis, that my life had been saved. The healing which was not yet manifest was part of it, but God was doing even more. From that point on, Blythe and I never, ever worried about dying. He just changed it. You know, as Christians, we know that Jesus has defeated our foe and saved us from our sins, don't we? Praise the Lord. But as part of our great salvation, God also offers to keep saving us in this life from ourselves, from the lies we believed and the stuff we've picked up along the way, the false substitutes we've settled for in place of his fellowship. He longs to free us from the bondage of those enticing yet enslaving patterns that inevitably result in passivity. I quit, I resign, I can't deal with it. Not my problem. Or striving, I'll take control. I better deal with this because God's delaying my problem. Here's the fine print of the striving, indulging deal Oh, by the way, you get to indulge because you've worked so hard on the striving. So that becomes part of the bondage. See, this life of frantic hurriedness distracts us from God's voice, exhausts us in every way. Now, perhaps like me, I'm getting a little personal here, though, but I think I have, well, you're paying attention. I appreciate that. I have no right to say anything to you except what the Lord will say to you. Perhaps you've told yourself you can handle the terrorist in the spare room while you're having the home fellowship meeting in the next room over. I'm speaking to you, and some here know this very well, as a person who's had a lot of training and a lot of discipline. I learned I could not handle them both simultaneously. God's gift to me was to show me this. So I urge you today, do not trifle with sin. It's the true cancer. Flee from it, and God will heal you and raise you up into new things. And until I accepted this weakness reality, I was paying an increasingly higher price and delaying God's next things. And listen to this, the very things I was waiting for, the very things I was praying for, the very things he had promised me. This is a kind of insanity the Bible calls double-mindedness. 
and by the way, the lifestyle of striving to make life happen on our terms doesn't work. Just ask Abraham and Sarah how the whole Ishmael thing worked out. We're still paying the price for that today. Speaking of terrorists, God wants to deliver us, listen carefully, from trying to be God in our own lives so that he can be God in our lives. Here's the story of how God spoke to me specifically. While in the hospital, Brian innocently, I don't think innocently, brought me Psalm 116. And he said to me as he came in the hospital room, Charlie, this has your name written all over it. I paid attention. At that time, Blythe and I and many magnificent prayer warriors were standing on the promises of Matthew 8.17 and 1 Peter 2.24 and Psalm 103 and Isaiah 53 and all those healing scriptures. And they were constantly being rehearsed in my mind and in my heart. We thank God for his blood covenant that includes salvation and healing. Now, this is an appropriate prayer focus for someone who has cancer. But after the Psalm 116 visit, the Lord began to add something to my prayers. He was after something deeper. And of course, he had my absolute attention, didn't he? I was constrained by tubes and wires and needles. I couldn't go anywhere. So alone with God, that night, in the middle of the night, in pain, couldn't get any more morphine out of my clicker button, I was praying through Psalm 116 when I hit verse 4. And I was looking at it in the amplified version, which says this, O oh Lord, please save my life. And it hit me. Lord, please. And the Lord spoke this word to me in my heart, and I sensed he began it with the word, my beloved. I am trying to save your life, he said, but your determination to follow your own will is hindering me. Healing your cancer is a good prayer, but I also have new things for you beyond the cancer things you do not yet fully know. I am trying to save your life so I can give you more of my life. A life of increased purpose and fulfillment. A life of fresh Holy Spirit gifting. A life of blessing for others. A life of love and victory in warfare. I am offering you more of myself but I will not force you. The choice is yours. You can imagine, I didn't get to the rest of Psalm 116 that night. I was struck and humbled by this direct word, but all I felt while it was being spoken to my heart was love. As direct a word as it was, that's all I felt. And so I knew it was the Lord. I knew it was the Lord. He had gently laid bare my very soul, and I knew what I needed to do 
I needed to surrender. So after a time of absolute silence, I've never heard a hospital so quiet in my life, several confessions just came right out of me in rapid fire succession. I directed them all to the Lord. I don't even, they just came out of me. And I'll give them to you now. Maybe one of them would be yours today. Lord, I have quietly ignored your voice and chosen my own way. I have made choices that have crowded you out. I have settled for false substitutes thinking I could have my promises on my terms, your promises on my terms. I have settled for less than a blessed ongoing fellowship with you. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for delaying the promise of restoring to me the years the locusts have eaten. Forgive me. I have delayed you. And then a great peace settled over me. There was a, it was a holy and powerful experience. So may I ask you a few questions? Is God waiting for you to come around to his point of view? Have you grown weary waiting for the promises, but also at the same time are ignoring his voice or settling for less? You know, 2 Timothy 1.9 says that God has been waiting for us. This was the case in, with my life. So here's the direct question. Is there something you need to lay down? Or just as importantly, is there something you need to take up to usher in God's promise for you? Have you become passive and withdrawn and quit in the spiritual fight? Or have you bought the lie that striving and indulging won't delay the promises of God? As you consider your choices, remember this. Rather than dwell on what this will cost you, think about what it cost Jesus to give you this promise, this life. And then just let his love wash over you. Look at the shell's picture again. Colossians 3.3 says your life is hidden with Christ and your true life is Christ himself. You see, the smaller inner shell represents that rich, uncompromising life that God is guarding for us until the perfect time, the right time, the fullness of time. You know, I've heard the argument that many times people have said, as a cop-out to this, they've said, oh, God's not interested in what he gives us. He's only interested in the process. He just wants to grow us up. I say, no, God is the great fulfiller of the promises. After all, Galatians 4.4 said, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. He did not simply prepare the world for Jesus. He sent Jesus. He turned him over to the torturers. So he does it. Yes, he prepares, but then he's a doer, a fulfiller, and he will do it again, just like the song says, in the case of your promise. And so, as if to simply make this point, and I wasn't even focused on it, God made the story even better. Just recently, after my last chemo session in March, the Lord opened a new door for me. 
a door I was told was permanently shut and locked. Only God, only God could have opened this door. Even I had no faith for this. But this time, he's prepared me to walk in it. We're learning something, aren't we? This is the promise of the listening, obeying life. We make the smallest move towards him. And this was a small move, folks. We look back from the pigsty to the ranch, and we see our father. He's got the royal robe. He's got the ring. We make the smallest move towards him, and he opens the windows of heaven. He pours out a blessing so perfect in timing and design, we can hardly even imagine it. This is our God. He has a calling for each one of us. In this season of your life, it was etched into your heart before the foundations of the world were created. And as long as it's unsatisfied, it creates a longing and a restlessness within us that won't be satisfied by the drugs of passivity or striving. It can only be satisfied by God himself. This calling is consistent with our gifts and it's time to work in this season. It is promised despite our confessed sins, some of you really need to hear this now, long forgiven and forgotten by God, which we wrongly assume disqualify us for kingdom use and power. This is a lie. The truth is exactly the opposite. Our past forgiven sins and brokenness are the required qualifications for the next thing God has for us. God requires them, why? Because they give us a humble heart of love. And love is the required spiritual fruit for the next thing in your life because it always involves others. You know, when I think about the timing of finding that shell on the beach, I realized at the time, a little bit, but I didn't slow down long enough to listen, that God was speaking a word to me when I found it. It was a word of preparation. Oh my, if I'd only listened. Before the cancer, before the revelations, and the other things that happened in 2017, which were remarkable that we won't go into today, I was already a very blessed man. Those of you who know me know that to be true. But I'd gotten myself stuck. And I didn't know how to get out. So God needed to make a way. He will do that in your life too if you're stuck like I was stuck. You see, God is moving, I found out, towards a promised land of happy service for each of us. He awaits us. His love is so compelling if we'll just slow down long enough to let it, to receive it and let it wash over us that we can do, just like the scripture said, the impossible. We can set fear aside. We can surrender our will. 
we can move on with God to the next thing. We can change. So here we are, near the end of this talk. Thank you for listening. I've been imagining being here for many months. So I'm just going to delay a little bit and enjoy it a little bit longer. Not at all. I know, Brian, you give me the... Here we are, folks, at a fork in the road. Can you see it in your mind? Two paths, and they're very divergent. The one on the left looks wide open, well-marked, well-lit, has a big sign that says, for independent navigation. There's some fine print at the bottom, toll required, eventually. Not in the beginning, the price of your heart. The other path, it's more well-worn, it's obscured by branches, it's mysterious, it's not as well-lit, you can only see a part of it, but it comes with the outstretched, nail-scarred hand of Jesus reaching to us, reaching for us, and he's speaking to us the same words he spoke to his ancient people in Jeremiah. Stand by the old path, he says, where the good way is, and walk in it. And then here's the promise again, and you will find rest for your souls. There's a sense of urgency to my message, I believe, for many of you today, those people here who are hearing the quickening of the Holy Spirit, so I say to you, which way will you choose? Whether for the deep, a deeper work, for the next thing that God has for you, as was my case, or for the first time if you don't know Jesus and you need to move from religion to relationship. Say yes to him today. Take Jesus' hand and walk the old path with him. He will give you everything, everything your heart desires. He will get you there. And so I'll conclude by saying, if the Lord has touched something in your heart today, agree with me now, if you can, as I pray and lead us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today in our weaknesses. We humble ourselves before you and commit our lives afresh into your care. We yield our wills to your perfect will. We renounce the false substitutes for real life we've allowed inside. And yes, Lord, we set aside our fears. We want to change our thinking. We want to repent and choose to obey you today. We want to take up only our cross and trust you for the timing and perfect fulfillment of the promises we've entrusted to you, the ones you've guarded for us. Thank you, Lord, for this pathway of life available to you in Jesus' name. Now, look at me for one final piece of helpful instruction that I, the Lord showed me through this process. No matter what you take away from it, remember these things. Number one, your promise still stands. The song is true. That's why I asked him to sing it. Nothing can shut the door of the promise God has opened to you. Nothing. Next, the season of your waiting is that. It is a season. It had a beginning, and it can have a good end. 
if you will take the hand of the Lord. So it's a season. And finally, remember above all else that you are his beloved. Every word of every command is bathed in love so that he can get you and get me to the next place of joyful service he has for us. So in conclusion, I can't resist. I just want to bless you. So receive this blessing I've got for you. I've adapted it from the Amplified, 1 Peter 5, 10, and 11. So receive this today. After you have suffered, the God of all grace, who imparts his blessing and favor, who called you to his own eternal glory in Christ Jesus, he himself will complete you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you, making you into what you ought to be. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our healer in our salvation. Amen. We got this.